0: And now it is with great pleasure that I would like to introduce our guest speaker to you, the Reverend Joseph L. Kellerman, Director of the Charlotte Council of Alcoholism from Charlotte, North Carolina. Following Reverend Kellerman's talk, we will have a 15-minute question and answer period. Reverend Kellerman,
1: Penny, Boy, Paul. I look forward with a great deal of joy and pleasure to being here, and I'm sure you understand why it was necessary for me to come. The title of the dress today is Alan on a particular role of responsibility. As a minister, I encountered the problems, pastoral problems associated with excessive and uncontrolled drinking. For a period of 23 years, as Director of the Charlotte Council on Alcoholism, I'm finishing my 10th year as professional work in the field of alcoholism. This 33 years of work associated with the lives of people coincides almost exactly with the beginning and development of the changed approach in the area of alcoholism. A.A.'s official birthday was June 10, 1935. I was ordained as a minister June 15, 1935. In the middle of this same decade, the Yale School of Alcohol Studies came into existence, began a study of alcoholism, which has had a broad effect upon the approach to alcoholism through a variety of professions. I learned of AA in 1941 through Jack Alexander's article in the Saturday reading post, but did not have direct and personal contact with a group until ten years later. In 1951, an A group began meeting in the parish house of the church where I was rector. I was caught up in the work of this group and met regularly with them as a visitor for two or three years. In 1953, I I'd become so involved in the area of alcoholism that I attended the Yale Summer School of Alcohol Studies. Five years later, my work as rector of a parish was changed to that of director of an agency in the area of alcoholism, our remaining active as a supply priest on weekends. The operation of a local alcoholism information center made one thing quite clear. Clients of our office are primarily wives and parents of alcoholics, and Al-Anon is by far our primary reference or, or the resource for referral of individual clients. In addition to personal education counseling, the literature we give to each client includes the pamphlet, Al-Anon, Sister Group to AA, with an explanation of the value of Al-Anon to the family, and a printed copy of all AA and Alanon meeting schedules in the local community. If the client will permit, we make a direct referral to an Al-Anon member by phone. Part of my official work then involves explaining what Al-Anon groups have to offer the wife or the family member of an alcoholic. Today I change the direction of the explanation and attempt to describe some aspects of the field of alcoholism to those of you who are active members of Al-Anon. This will not be an overview, but a matter of pointing out certain ideas, attitudes, events, or movements which might enable you to see more clearly the vital role which Al-Anon is playing the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century witnessed a remarkable change in attitudes on the part of the American communities toward the mentally ill. The most pronounced change was inclusion of the mentally ill as a bona fide patient of the medical community. The mentally ill were no longer considered possessed of demons to be tortured, punished, or jailed but desperately ill persons who needed medical care, understanding, and acceptance by the community. The past 100 years has produced enormous changes in our attitudes toward the mentally ill, not the least of which is the realization that if we assume an attitude of superiority, we immediately cut ourselves off from these persons who so desperately need our help. Yet During this same period of a hundred years, there arose a movement in our nation which looked upon all manufacture, sale, and use of alcohol as evil. Dr. Selva Bacon's address in Prague, June 1966, quote, The tempest movement of the USA, impact on attitudes, action, and research, states in concise terms the enormous scope and impact of this movement. Alcohol was not only defined as evil, but the cause of evil. Dr. Bacon points out that in the battle between the Tempest Movement and the Anti-Tempest Movement, there developed a third larger group which was not organized or actually well defined. This group he has assigned the term the Avoiders. Those persons are groups who were opposed to the programs, activities, and fights between the so-called wets and the dries. This avoidance was not only that of individuals, but included the medical, professional, hospital, health, and welfare agencies. Legislators concerned themselves with fights about the control of the production of the sale of alcohol to non-alcoholism. Perhaps the sternest warning Dr. Bacon gives in the entire paper is that a revolution in thinking about alcohol and alcoholism has not occurred. Change is on the way. But the impact of the Tempest Movement still dominates the thinking of most persons today in the area of alcohol problems, especially the preservation of the massive avoidance group. Dr. Harold Mulford, in the keynote address at the 18th Annual Meeting of the North American Association of Alcohol Programs in Chicago last fall, stated that the object of community concern in our society today is still basically alcohol, not alcoholism. He adds that this concern works for about 95% of our population, but that alcoholism will not become a community concern until it is more clearly defined. However, the most basic appeal of Dr. Malford's paper, to me, was the principle that the interaction process of the drinker and those significant others in his life creates alcoholism. Dr. Malford states that alcoholics are created, not born. The help which he needs in recovery is a reversal of a process which resulted in alcoholism. Specifically, it is to reestablish social ties with the family, friends, employer, minister, physician, etc, etc. He further defines treatment for alcoholism as interruption of the drinking career and an interaction of the reintegration process. At one point in the paper, Dr. Norford points to the need for studies which pursue the individual through the various stages which produce the alcoholic to analyze the symbolic environment of the drinker and his significant others. I would suggest that this is a desperately needed area of research and would add that just as rewarding would be a study of the same subject using the wife or mother of the alcoholic as the focal point of interest related specifically as to what influences molded this woman into the institutionalizing process which reacted to excessive drinking in such a way as to aid, abet, or perpetuate alcoholism. Dr. Morford further states that the conception of alcoholism rests heavily upon those cases of alcoholism which have been through all the processes by which individual alcoholics are created. We tend to focus on the acute chronic alcoholic rather than all the elements which go into the production of alcoholism. Considering the acute case is essential, but today treatment cannot cope with the new cases as they arise, not to mention the huge backlog of untreated cases already in existence. Dr. Thomas F. A. Clark, in the Report of the Nation by the Cooperative Commission on the Study of Alcoholism, this fact in graphic terms the book was just published this year in California alone treatment of all problem drinkers by a weekly contact with a psychiatrist and a once a month contact with a social worker would require the full time work of every psychiatrist and every trained social worker in the United States of America a program of treatment of all addicts in the USA would take the services of almost all doctors, social workers, nurses and psychologists in the nation. To think in terms of adequate treatment of alcoholics on a professional basis is a fantasy at the present time. In most states, less than five percent of those who need help get professional treatment. If we add to that the five percent who secure adequate help in AA, we still have virtually 90% of the alcoholic population untreated. It has been estimated reliably that 85 to 90% of the alcoholics of our nation die untreated. Dr. Gordon Bell of Willowdale, Ontario, states that the alcoholic is locked in a phase of resistance by the disease. He also adds that unless someone helps them out of it, they won't make it. When we consider the fact that there are some 6 or 7 million alcoholics in our nation, and the combined impact of AA and professional treatment reaches some 10% of this enormous number of persons, the first thing that comes to mind, who is that someone who will help them out? Perhaps the title of this address might be, who will break the law? An alternative might be, who initiates recovery from alcoholism?" In my own state, a study of unilateral therapy of alcoholism was done by Dr. John Ewing, professor and chairman of the Department of Psychiatry University of North Carolina. An oversimplification of the reports of the findings of this study indicates that attempts from simple counseling to intensive individual therapy of the wife has major influence on the alcoholic. The wife was attempted to adapted to the husband's drinking, and entered an emotional homeostasis which tends to perpetuate the drinking. Throwing this out of balance by dealing directly with the wife opens up tremendous promise in the field of recovery. As an aside here, the same is true if the husband is the spouse of the woman alcoholic. I've written this in the male-female also so remember this applies to husbands as well. Dr. Ewing began with 44 wives of alcoholics in this research project. Six refused to participate and six others dropped out of the program. Of the 32 who gave the program a fair trial, he reported the following results occurred in the alcoholic husband. A substantial change occurred in 16 which might be termed recovery. The method had a moderate effect on six other husbands who made good progress. Five made fair progress and five had no progress or a poor effect. I'm certain that each member of Almanon present understands the working principle which Dr. paper reveals. Half of the husbands got well through the change which occurred in the wife. Again, where our wives defined skills of this type from professional persons? Unfortunately, Dr. Ewing does not believe that it must necessarily begin with a psychiatrist and is quite plain to state this. He states that an Alcoholism information center is such a source, that an understanding doctor or minister is another place to begin, and includes Al-Anon as a resource to which your wife may turn for such insight and help. This brings me to the heart of the matter. Avalon today is the only readily available source of therapeutic help for the spouse, parent, or other member of the alcoholic's family. The reason that other agencies do not provide such help, unless in conjunction with the treatment of the chronic alcoholic, is not difficult to understand if you look at the chronology of alcoholism. The earliest symptoms of illness are experienced by the family several years before the latter stages of the illness forces recognition of existence by persons outside the family. Gross drinking behavior, blackouts, sneaking and gulping drinks, severe and chronic hangovers, loss of control, the alibi system, the early morning eye-openers, and antisocial behavior all occur within the home. What appears to be somewhat deviant drinking behaviors to the outside world may be devastating within the family. The spouse is usually the prime object of hostility during the drinking episodes and feels the impact of drinking long before the employer is even aware of the problem. Many times at workshops on alcoholism, I've heard the statement, quote, early diagnosis and treatment of alcoholism gives far better chance of recovery, unquote as the nature of the illness is denial of its existence. And the family both sees and feels the impact of this illness five or ten years before it breaks through the outside world in a convincing manner, It means that the spouse of the alcoholic must initiate the treatment if it is to be done at an early stage. Rarely does the wife seek help initially, because the professional community which surrounds her husband does not recognize or accept the earliest symptoms as alcoholism. A study done in Iowa three years ago indicates that about half of the estimated problem drinkers appeared in the offices of professional persons during the course of the year with difficulties related to problem drinking. Only a small percentage sought help for drinking problems and, as most professional persons in our nation have not had one single hour of professional training in the field of alcoholism the question of the pathological use of alcohol and alcoholism is easily avoided. The social, cultural, and professional circles of interaction which surrounds the alcoholic both contribute to the illness and help them deny its existence. To explain this and to enable persons who are my clients to understand their role in alcoholism and also at times in lecturing professional groups, I have combined information from three or four very knowledgeable persons and put it together in a hypothetical sociodrama. The play is in three acts and is given the title merry-go-round named denial all too often the alphabet is viewed as one person causing others or himself difficulty because of excessive drinking. in order to view awfulism within the framework of the interaction which helps create the illness an actor perpetuated let's run through this imaginary play which has three acts and four characters i forgot to write it in the manuscript but i should have put right here because Alcoholism cannot appear in isolation, progress in isolation, or sustain itself in isolation. The most important thing I left out of the paper, so you can put it in your notes. In Act 1, the alcoholic is the subject. again, get, get away from the home. It'd be easier. It'd be easier. In Act 1, the alcoholic is the subject, and others are the object of his action. The essential characteristic of this act is that of a sensitive, very lonely, and very dependent person who denies his dependency by acting in a very independent fashion, has learned by chance or experimentation that alcohol gives a sense of success, well-being, and self-sufficiency, or in other terms, becomes a psychological blessing. By word and deed, the denial process is conveyed to others, and by drinking he's able to convince self that there is no dependency. Drinking results in something akin to omnipotence. Once under the influence, a profound Jekyll and Hyde change occurs within the alcoholic. Action becomes irrational, antisocial, and at times deviant or criminal. A crisis of some kind is created, and the outlet usually ends up in a mess. At this point, the dependency is most evident by the ability of the drinker to ignore the consequences of his drinking, pretend they do not exist, or have others take care of the consequences. End of Act one, In Act Two, three persons appear in the following order. They are the subjects, and the outlet is the object of their action first is the enabler, a guilt-laden Mr. Clean who sets up a rescue mission and saves the problem drinker from the crisis. The enabler is usually a male outside the family but may be a member of the family and at times the woman may play this role. Professionally, this role is played by ministers,
2: doctors,
1: lawyers social workers. Again, the side, not in the manuscript, the so-called helping professions who help the guy off the hook, but don't help him get well. The second actor is the victim who is the employer, the boss, business associates, or at times a key employee, even a secretary, maybe this. The victim keeps the work going and protects the output from loss of job. Without this protective help. The discipline of work requirements would be exercised much earlier. The highest recovery rates known today from alcoholism occur where industrial programs offer rehabilitation as an alternative to overprotection and eventual dismissal. Again, on the side, I heard an A man tell a group of Alanans, a no man next door, volunteered to go to AA. They went to get the wife back or get the wife off the back. They went to get the job back or to get back to a job. A third character to appear in Act Two is the provocatrice. That's you. The female provoker. She provokes, precipitates, coerces, controls, holds together, hangs on, never gives up. But never forgets.
2: <laughs>
1: Usually this role is played by the wife, but mother at times the sister may be involved. Despite failures as husband, the wife overcompensates, conceals and adjusts to the increasing crisis due to drinking. The drinker's attitude is: "I can fail you, but you must never. Me. To embarrass to break through the stigma of drunkenness and desperately struggling to avoid a breach in the marriage, the wife hangs on and on and on. The result of Act Two is that the crisis is removed, the job is preserved, and the family held together by others absorbing or removing the consequences of the drinking. In simple language, the three acted separately or in concert to clean up the mess and thereby make the drinker more dependent than before. They denied the drinker the learning experience of correcting his own mistakes or cleaning up his own mess or reducing his own crisis. In that 3, the alcoholic is sober, out of the crisis, back on the job, and still a member of the family the need to deny is now stronger than ever he denies that he has a drinking problem denies that he caused any trouble or that his job is in jeopardy and tends to blame the wife for all that is wrong within the marriage his tactics are that of subversion but he is aware of his drinking he is enormously guilty and filled with remorse He is aware of his failure and is embarrassed by the exposure of his dependency needs. His independence must be reasserted and the only successful and now mechanism he has learned to do is what?
2: Drink.
1: At the close of Act 3, he takes the drink, but instead of ending the play, this begins a repeat performance of the play. In time, it becomes as stereotyped as the three-reel movie. The merry-go-round may spin at a rapid pace or turn slowly and pause at times, but it will continue to go round as long as the persons in Act Two continue to ride in this same fashion. Recovery from alcoholism begins when the actors in the second act learn that their reaction to drinking is perpetuating the illness, and by learning new roles begin to play out an entirely different response to drinking. In the long run, this means the involvement of the whole community, the friends, minister, doctor, lawyer, social worker, especially the employer or boss, and of course, as you members of al know, the participation of the wife in a specific recovery program for herself. Recovery may be described as a reversal of the factors which help produce alcoholism. Now we come to the difficult aspect of the drama. The wife is the first person to experience this vicious cycle of the merry-go-round of drinking, reaction, and response. She is aware that something is wrong, but does not know how to cope with the situation. I think the most needed area of research in the field of autism today is that of trying to understand what forces shape the wife into characteristics which allow or force her to play the role of the bocatees. As one wife put it, incidentally, this is outstanding, of the outstanding church women in America today speaking. Everything my parents, grandparents, ministers, and Sunday school teachers taught me about my role as a woman and my responsibility as a wife conditioned me to be totally unprepared to cope with my husband when he became an alcoholic. Let me read that again. Everything my parents, grandparents, ministers, and Sunday school teachers taught me about my role as a woman and my responsibility as a wife conditioned me to be totally unprepared to cope with my husband when he became an alcoholic. From her statement, we might define a particular role Al-Anon may play, that of reconditioning the wife so that she can cope with alcoholism, not as a nurse, doctor, or therapist. by learning the true role of wife, housekeeper,
2: companions, possibly breadwinners. The paradox of the role of
1: the wife is that our culture forces her to help build the merry-go-round and become the first to join her husband in the cycle movement so doing she becomes a tragic figure in the drama, for she contributes to the illness and also suffers severe emotional distress because of it. The second paradox is that although treatment or counseling or group therapy for the wife is the most effective method of beginning the recovery process, almost all services for treatment and rehabilitation are geared to the chronic alcoholic, not to the family. A third paradox and perhaps one which is the greatest barrier to recovery is that the idea that you cannot help an uncle until he wants help, when in fact it is the wife's intervention by seeking help for herself at an early stage that gives the best possibility of recovery before the illness runs its course. To put it bluntly, where we need the most intensive research in the system for those who play the role of the and possibly the role of a neighbor also. In this area, there is little or no interest on the part of professional people. In the areas of treatment and recovery, millions of dollars are being spent, but little or none of it is directed to those who play the primary roles in the merry-go-round. Industry is taking the lead, but this is in the chronology of progressive illness comes five to ten years after the family needs initial help. In other words, you gals get left out until far down the line. Now as you roll as Al-Anon members, Dr. Joan Jackson's study indicated that the average wife denied her husband had a serious drinking problem for seven years and then waited another two years to seek help. Somewhere, somehow, we must initiate an early information breakthrough that out exists and that it offers understanding, fellowship, and insight for the spouse of the alcoholic, which may and often does lead to a genuine recovery from alcoholism. Sometimes when I lecture to a woman's group on the role of the wife initiating recovery, a question will always arise. Is it fair to make the wife responsible for the recovery of her husband's drinking problems? Without going into any of the dynamics as referred to very briefly in this paper, I always reply, no, it is not fair, but that life has a choice which she must make once it appears. Seek help for herself
2: or perpetuate
1: and contribute to the matchment of the illness. Nothing fair about it, but that's the reality. I will not suggest that Ellen on attempt to make over-professional roles or take over a professional role, rather, or become a clinically oriented group, God forbid it. However, I dare to suggest, one, that every effort be made to inform ministers, doctors, and lawyers of the existence of al and recommended methods of direct referrals. You cannot become aggressive in seeking membership But as individuals, you can become aggressive in making yourself known to those who can lead family members into your groups. 2. That some type of beginner classes be offered new members. Simple, direct information at the earliest stages should be offered to members, and from the beginning the wife should understand that her changes in attitudes and approaches may take months. Possibly years, and that if her husband joins AA or becomes active in the recovery program, that joint participation on her part will be required on a yearly—I mean a regular basis, a weekly sessions for a period of two or three years. Why should be told quite early that her own therapy multiplies the probability that the outfit will accept a recovery program? And that once in the program, joint participation virtually doubles the probability of recovery. Third, a suggestion may be a little more delicate, but at times, and I think too often, is needed. Members of al especially the newer ones, should be instructed, guided, encouraged, and supported, but should not be forced into action nor deterred from any action they themselves wish to make. The wife usually knows best, and if she is armed with knowledge, the most important, she knows what she can do, or she knows what she must do. Give the new member group support, but don't make decisions for individuals. Fourth, whenever possible, Encourage communication and dialogue with competent professionals in the field of alcoholism. Each of you can help the other. Lastly as individuals. Actively promote research, education, and therapy for the spouse of the alcoholics. There are such limited facilities for professional treatment of alcoholics. But every wife should know that if drinking begins to be a problem, there is help available in Al-Anon, also that there is real hope for recovery, even if she alone has the courage to enter the fellowship of Al-Anon and digest enough insight and understanding to feed the recovery process into the potential or back into the actual alcoholic family. Thank you for letting me here. Dr. Kellerman, Bob from Missouri,
3: your tape series, of uh, radio talks on uh, alcoholism and social responsibility, has been used by many of our al groups on the matter of studying alcoholism and by some of our AA groups. We now have a request from a principal minister who Lives in a smaller town not far from my home to play these tapes or segments of it, of it, uh,
1: on the radio. Do we have permission to do that? Yes, sir. Anything I write or tape is not copyright. Anyone at any time may use it as long as it is not private profit. But we, our office never copyright anything. We feel that the need to say is so desperate. That anything that's written, published, filmed, or taped should be free wherever it's needed. No one needs ever write me for any permission to use anything I've written or prepared. Thanks. Sir.
0: I have a question. I'm Margie from Nevada. I have a question from a member in our area, and I'm not too sure I understand exactly, except I know I've heard her discuss it. And in uh, your chapter on Al-Anon Faces Alcoholism, uh, you you speak of a martyr. And in this uh, paragraph, uh, you point out how this caused extreme uh, hostility. Hostility. And she had asked in a group one time how this could be. And I might point out, this is a girl that has had a great deal of, of uh, therapy and has been institutionalized.
2: Uh, the word
1: martyr there is used in connection with the adjective unnecessary martyr. Unnecessary martyr is the person
2: that forces you to hurt them, which is the extreme form of hostility. martyr is a person who would do
1: anything in the world to avoid martyrdom our Lord Gethsemane that it be possible that this pass pass from me but because it was not possible he gave his life and anyone who forces you to injure them is not acting in love but in extreme forms of hostility because they make you hurt them and then blame you for the hurt that position. Yes, uh,
3: Eric from Arizona. Uh,
1: I have uh, the most of your talk, uh, as far as the Alanon is concerned, is uh, directed toward the wife. Now I realize that in the past this has been the recognized thing, but there are becoming more and more uh, male Alanon's as the, because they are becoming, and we've noticed this particularly in the last few years there are becoming more and more female alcoholics that are getting out into the open. Now, uh, what can we do or how can we present this to get more males into Illinois? Uh That's the $64 question. <laughs> uh, although you said one thing that I think is important, you said that more and more female after getting out in the open, uh, everything I read from the theft and research people still say there is little or no increase in the number of alcoholic women as contrasted with men is still on a virtually a five to one basis. More and more women are being recognized and are out in the open. Now, the difficulty is this, and I don't know any other way to explain it. Uh, how many of you girls have a male doctor who is your gynecologist? Hold up your hand. How many of you men have a general practitioner who's a female
2: doctor? <laughs> a male is very
1: embarrassed to admit anything that's wrong with him or turn to women for help. I don't know whether we need the men AA Alanon groups or not, but the two things that happen. First, the man's pride is enormous. Uh, I was sitting with a A member who five years in prison for involuntary manslaughter of two teenage girls driving a car into the Input it was their fault that he was drunk he was having a little domestic difficulty we were sitting and talking he said Jody you have an amazing understanding of those of us who are apostolic. and I said well Tom the underlying neurosis of the male anophilic is omnipotent and I'm an Episcopal priest and a hard headed Dutchman and nobody's going to tell me he looked at me and said what do you think I had in mind
2: <laughs> now
1: the nature of a male basically is this. He does not want to admit it. there's anything wrong. And it's harder for him to, to recognize that he is related to this problem. And I think his own pride makes it very difficult for him to break through and censor. The ratio is roughly five to one and this is basically the woman's group. You have a hard time attacking him to this group initially. So I can't give the adversary except that what church, I think I find, to be universally true throughout the country. Very few men get drawn to Al-Anon. Could we further the thing by uh, uh, saying, uh, getting away from the fact that this is a basically a women's group and saying we're Al-Anon members? I, I can't give you all the that because I don't qualify. I'm a social drinker, not an alcoholic, and I can't qualify for Al-Anon. And some man here might have the answer to that, but I, I can't profess this. I do tell you this. Anytime a man comes to my office about his wife drinking or phones up and wants to talk about it, I say, I need to see you, not your wife. And I'll guarantee you, sir, if you'll make sufficient change, there's a better than average chance your wife will give up drinking, and if you're not willing to make change, look at what you're contributing to this illness. She's going to stay drunk till she dies. I bury too many women in my church who drank themselves to death whose husbands, assuming the attitude, there is nothing wrong with me but I think here the primary thing is a matter of education letting people know if your spouse is drinking too much you do not cause it necessarily you may be in many ways not the cause or any way the cause of it but you are capable of aiding in the recovery or contributing to the illness or perpetuating I think here the basic thing is just to lay it online do you want your wife to get well if you want her to get well we can help you change so that therapeutically you will help the situation instead of adding to it right. but I don't have the
2: answer this is the heart any other Wanda
0: from Board of Trustees.
3: Um, I have a question that I'd like you to enlarge upon a little bit. I don't quite understand what you meant by saying alcoholism cannot sustain in isolation.
1: This is a quotation from Dr. Seldon Bacon, and it's included in one of the tapes. The gentleman from Missouri, St. Louis, is it? Anyway, I didn't know you had the tapes out there. I did my best to move them, never knew it. They got anywhere except to Pennsylvania. Uh-huh. We don't use them in North Carolina. <laughs> well, perhaps I
3: should no, ask Doctor Bacon. I,
1: no, no,
2: I'll tell you what it means. That this is a learning process of the words drinking,
1: reaction, response, and drinking again. The reaction to drinking determines whether a person may successfully
2: use alcohol as a company agent for a solution of the problem or answer to his question.
1: Alcoholics do not have a drinking problem. Alcoholics have found a drinking answer, provided we enable their drinking to be the answer. A standard gag in our office, if you want to call it that, or answer to women who fall in. My secretary does this more often than I, because she has the opportunity. Well, wouldn't you like to come in and talk to us about your husband drinking?
2: I don't drink. <laughs> my husband
1: would gets drunk. I don't touch the stuff. Well, you're you, you're living with a man who has drinking problems. Well, don't you have a drinking problem? No, my husband drinks. Well, my secretary will then say, well, if you're if this is your husband, he drinks too much. Then you are married to or have a drinking problem as a husband. You have the drinking problem. Apparently, he doesn't, or he would come in so the husband has the drinking answer and the spouse has the drinking problem or if it's the wife who's drinking you see and literally this is true in cultures where this type of drinking is not permitted. there is a very low rate of alcoholism now drinking doesn't cause the problem drinking is the relief, the escape, the solution the running away from the anesthetization of the problem. This is man's psychological blessing, but physiological curse. It soothes him while it kills him. But this pattern of behavior cannot progress or continue without the constant support in this pattern by other people. This is in the merry-go-round. There's got to be someone who rescues, someone who's victimized, and provocative.
2: It simply kind of appear out of a social context. Yes. I'm Bud from Virginia, and I'm one of these welcome guests, Penny. Uh,
1: I think it's improper for me to say something, but uh, Reverend Kellerman, you said, in effect, that the superior attitude of society which the Alcoholic meats is inimical to his recovery. I agree with everything that you have said here today. One of the problems that Al Anon has today, in my opinion, is the superior attitude which recovering alcoholics have towards Al Anon. Uh, a major step in my continued recovery has been the availability of uh, of the insight and knowledge that you gave me and other people through Al-Anon literature. I think one of the biggest benefits that Al-Anon could gain would be to have this literature more available as one of your thrusts of your Al-Anon program to make it more available in whatever way you can uh, do so to relatively new AA members who are still on the defensive. This implies, of course, that I've completely recovered. <laughs>
2: uh, but this
1: is uh, humorous as it may seem. It's an important point, and I deal with it. I'm one of Al-Anon's best salesmen. And uh, Al-Anon literature, after many years in AA, was uh, a quantum jump in my recovery to another area of understanding, yeah. both of myself, and yeah. appreciate you all, and if you could make an environment, create an environment where the AA member himself has this readily available, even if it's just laying around the club room, I think it would be extremely helpful, not only to Al-Anon, but to the male Al-Anon members uh, through their spouses in AA. Thank you very much. Thank you. our informational center we give every client whether they're the alcoholic or the family the alcoholic literature on AA
2: and Al-Anon
1: and professional materials we tell the alcoholic he should read what his wife reads and the wife should read what her husband reads and they all should read what the professionals have written
2: and we tell them quite frankly that you must read this and I'm Getting mm-hmm. more and more
1: uh, directive. In fact, I've always been a directive counselor. Indirection with the or non directive counseling is some of a very reasonably useless. I tell the wife, unless she is willing to participate in a regular program on a weekly basis over a long period of time, that she is not going to, she will not anticipate recovery. And I tell them this says, my husband objects to my going to the meetings, he will not permit me to go to the meetings, I say under those circumstances, then you must go to the meetings. If he can blackmail, brainwash, or intimidate you against seeking help for yourself, you're selling yourself down the river. Now, as you know, due to circumstances, I'm not very gay today or facetious, and I I want you to know that being able to comment them of tremendous importance day this week. There's one little guinea I use at times when I face a wife who can't understand what I'm talking about, why she has to learn to protect herself. Very simple thing. a woman, I wanted to give me in one word the exact difference morally and legally between two acts which are identical outwardly but morally and legally are absolute opposites and the second is prostitution and I've had clients come back with the answer before I could say soon it's prostitution I had one girl that said, permission and I'm giving it all the time
2: <laughs>
1: this girl at 29 had never had a proposal of marriage and she met a man who had a fourth grade education she knew he drank but in two weeks she asked her to marry him and she was afraid she would never get another opportunity so she did and she went from Mecklenburg County down to York South Carolina which is the green of our area and married him because she said I was embarrassed for my friends to see the man I was marrying
2: and one week later
1: I would have divorced him, but this would have required going into court and let people know what i would married.
2: And I've lived with this man for 17 years under this condition. You to understand why she felt that
1: her marriage had been prosecuted. It had nothing to do with fact. it had to do with the role of marriage what a woman is in a relationship with a man. On another occasion, early in my work, a woman sat in front of me and said, when I was 20 years old, my father punished me by keeping me at home for a week because I was 10 minutes late getting back with a car, which I told him I wanted to use for one hour, and I got back an hour in 10 minutes. I swore right there and then I was married the first man that I after I turned 21, and I did. My father opposed it on the grounds he drank too much, and when he opposed it, then I had to do it, so I did. A year later I would have come home, except I couldn't bear to hear him say, I know a month later I would have come home, but I couldn't bear to hear him say, I told you so. I've lived with that man 27 years, and borne him five children, and resented him
2: every day of my marriage. He was considered to be a hopeless alcoholic. And you'll guess why the situation was over. These are things that we see all the time. Or
1: the woman who spent an hour talking to me about her son who was in Virginia. This woman was sent by the doctor because she reported to him after two weeks of taking his sedation she couldn't sleep. When he learned her son was an outlet, 37-year-old married boy living in Virginia, he sent her to me on the basis I might have something that would be more helpful than his pills. The boy had been divorced by the first wife. mother was supporting a 70 year old grandchild. She was from going to prison for non support. married the second time and had three little children. Two weeks earlier, he had phoned and had to have $75, which he would not trust her to mail. drove 200 miles to Charlotte to get the money. Go back. And a week later, the wife phoned up he'd in drunk a week and she was leaving and bringing three kids to coming to live with her mother-in-law. She couldn't bear this because this would be evidence of a second tale of marriage but she also said if you leave he will drive drunk to catch up with you in my factory car and kill himself. So she got a neighbor and drove to Virginia to persuade the wife to stay and try to get her son sober.
2: She came home
1: in a day or two. She talked about this for one whole hour then looked at me and said to me which was that which was the most relevant of all questions and yet in the eyes of most people it's totally unrelated she looked at me and said Mr. Cullin do you think my son's going to hell I said not for being an alcoholic he might make it for some valid reason but not for, for getting drunk why do you ask of course I knew why now she's not a Baptist but she's in a southern rural church she said because every preacher ever stood in the pulpit of my church if I was a girl has always said that no drunkard can enter the kingdom of heaven I think I failed to raise my boy right he turned out to be a drunkard and I can't sleep at night for fear that I jeopardize
2: his eternal soul and my answer is this
1: is the greatest of all sins and the shortest road to hell is through the pulpit and I may get there ahead of your boy but also I feel that the ministers who taught you this are bitter and hostile and they've got a far better chance of getting there ahead of your son so he'll be in good company if he makes it. but this is alcoholism this is what produces alcoholism a mother so borrow money or run off to another state to keep the wife from leaving because she is ashamed of her son's dream. The dynamic of what happens within the family, how they react to the guilt, the embarrassment, the shame, all of these things. This is an officer. And until we get down and, and see what's happened to these families and teach the family how to respond to these situations, there's little help in other words once we begin to get this message across AA and Al-Anon can grow enormously I think that AA and Al-Anon still are the key to recovery, but less than 5% make AA and I don't know what percent make al far less somewhere somehow we've got to reach the families and let them know that when they're willing to reach out and seek up for themselves oh. this is where something begins to happen I don't see professional people taking any leadership whatsoever in this field, even in the area of research and trying to understand it. Therefore, I appeal to you, who've been down the road, let ministers, doctors, lawyers, social workers, and other people know that you are available. You can't do this officially as a group, but you can do it as individuals. And let them know that when this problem first appears in their client, patient, or Christian, but you're ready to help then, not when it's at the end of the line. I buried too many people who, were, who drank
2: themselves to death with a complete help of all members of their family. You crash to what i I'm talking instead of making questions. Mm-hmm. And another time.
0: any more questions anywhere? This is your last opportunity. Oh. Helen from New York. Yes, and thank you very
3: much. Uh, This is a question that has been bothering me for quite a while and I don't know if this is the time to bring it up or not. And I presume it's a typical out answer, I don't know. This is it. If an outsider, an an enlightened LNN member, recognizes the early symptoms of the disease in an affected family, should we, or do we have the right to tell them that they are on a precipice? Especially so if the spouse is happily unaware that a big problem is in the making.
1: I think you
2: are entitled that information an individual under circumstances in fact maybe i'm way out on the subject but it requires
1: aggressive intervention to get into the minds of people The fact something is wrong and something can be done now it is possible that some men drinking do not severely interfere with the family but this is rather rare Occasionally, the wife tells me that her husband never beat her, always provided for her, but in
2: time, the problem began to be accused. I think it's perfectly proper to suggest to this woman that the drinking
1: pattern of her husband or his wife is identical to what you live through within your own family. And add if she would like to help tell boy my church who drank himself to death at 39 didn't come to me for help in the past but it did turn to me later when it was too late I wrote him a letter at one point and said dear Carl I'm aware of the fact you have a drinking problem I cannot intervene in your life and I can't invade your privacy but I know your problem exists and I think I'm capable of helping if you want my help my door is always open my phone is always here five or six years later when he drunk at his wife and children and job and living at home with mother and father he came for help
2: and reminded me
1: of the letter and said thank you for it I'm now here tragically though mother and father were protecting him he said I'm living with my family eating three meals a day at mama's table resent everybody the food and put in my mouth I said well that's simple just stop. he stop drinking get a job buy your own food it'll taste good I said I know it will Today I'll go down this deal with my pony and say to myself, Carl, tomorrow you're going to stop this, Rudy. He get a job. But you know, Jody, tomorrow I'll do the same thing because Mama will have supper on the table at 6.30 and I know it. Now, I think we have to tell these mamas or the wife and so forth. Now, this is an extreme case. What you said, when it, the wife is not aware of what's going on. Now,
3: well, it's a case of where ignorance is bliss, it's probably to be wise. Uh, should I, do I have the right, or should I project myself into this family and
1: precipitate I unhappiness? You, I don't think you can invade, but you can certainly inform. You have no right to tell her what she must do, but I think we have oh. a law of responsibility to present information. If a doctor discovers I have cancer and doesn't tell me, that he's not doing me in service, because I have to go to him as a doctor. But I think as friends and neighbors, we have complete right to point out what's happening. We may lose a friend, but I'd much rather run the risk of losing a friend than losing a life.
3: I might add, if anyone has had these experiences, I would like very much to hear about them.
2: That is the last question.
0: I know that I'm speaking for everyone when I say our hearts are really full today in our gratitude for this wonderful talk that we have had this afternoon. I feel that we have been especially blessed with this sort of a thing today. And we are also grateful for the trip that Reverend Carmen has made way up here to be with us and to present this fine message. And on behalf of all of us, I certainly want to extend a big thank you to everybody.